Hey there! Are you tired of waiting for the next episode of It's Probably Not Aliens? Well, we've got some good news for you. On Nebula, our streaming service, you can get access to all our episodes a week early. That's right, you'll never have to wait again to hear Scott and I debunk the latest ancient astronaut theory or get a movie fact wrong. But that's not all. Nebula is home to dozens of content creators we know you like, so you can find all your favorites in one place. Plus, we post content on there that you won't find anywhere else. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and listen to the next episode right after this one. That fucking bird. Have we cursed on this podcast before? We must Yeah, have. we've already earned our explicit tag. Don't worry. We've done it. That fucking bird. I was, under, I was under the impression at one point that you were a person who never swears. I don't know why, but you gave off person who doesn't swear vibes. I was that way for, for pretty much all of my life until I was around 25 or so. And then I was just around people a lot who said the naughty words that the Lord says not to say. And it just kind of rubbed off on me. So now I just say, I say, say, say all the bad words. The F one, I say that one. The S H I T one. That's a bad one. I say that one as well. That one's like not even a swear word anymore. You don't think so? Well, that's good. It's been downgraded over our lives, I think. Okay, cool. That makes me feel better. Um, the A, the A S S word. That's a bad, <laughs> I can't say that one. That's pretty too far for me. I loved, uh, I lived for three years in Quebec and all of the swear words there are just the name of church relics. <laughs> really? Yeah. So <laughs> give, me, you, give me an example. Uh, the biggest one is saying tabernac, which is like, uh, just, just the French word for tabernacle. Oh, uh, so fun. if you get really pissed off, you just be like, oh, see the tabernacle, that God is this. Uh, which is just like, yeah, it's just a bunch of uh, church relics because. Would, so would people react to that and be like, oh, how dare there yeah. are children around? Really? That's oh, yeah. If the, if the Chabasans say at least tabonush, you uh, you have to wash out their mouth with soap. Mm. <laughs> Culture. It's fascinating, everyone. <laughs> so, yeah, today is um, we've talked a lot about this bird. This is probably yes. the, <laughs> we've just like. Uh, on the serialized television series, like this is like the ominously referenced bird episode. <laughs> yeah, like we we've teased it. It's been our it's been in our season one arc, and it's finally coming to the point where we are actually going to address it. This bird is going to get screen time, which is fun. Uh, hi everyone, welcome to it's probably not aliens. This is a podcast all about debunking or and learning about the ancient astronaut theories and about ancient civilizations and cultures and cool things. Did I summarize it correctly? Sounds good to me. And uh, today is going to be one of our many, many, probably one of many, many, many trips to ancient Egypt. Well, I'm excited to learn because my name is Scott Nicewander and I know nothing. I'm I'm a dunce in this scenario. And my name is Tristan Johnson and I learned something approximately 48 hours ago. But it's cool stuff and we hope that you'll join us as we talk about this fucking 
bird. Tristan, do you want to explain this bird to people? Uh, yeah, we need to title this episode that fucking bird. Yeah, uh, maybe with some uh, what's it called? Some uh, wonderful comic book. Um, what are those things called? They're called Growlixes. Yeah, Growlixes. Yeah. So Google it, people. So this, the, the, so um, it, archaeologists don't call it that fucking bird. It's called the Sakara bird. Uh, <laughs> Named, named because missed it's, opportunity. Yeah, it's named that because it comes from Saqqara, uh, specifically a pyramid there, one of the older ones. I believe it is one of the first of like the pyramids, uh, the Great Pyramids. So it's it's really old. <laughs> it's pretty dang old. Yeah, but according to ancient aliens, there's way more to it than just being old. So what it is is it's this wooden bird that has wings and a tail. And if you are an ancient alien theorist and you look at it, you're like, man, that looks like an airplane. <laughs> Which is so bonkers because anyone else would look at it and go, man, that's a really old bird. That's just a really old little bird toy. What's what's interesting is uh, we learn a lot today about how archaeologists do their work and how we identify what things are for and how to not do that. Mm -hmm. Um, So in Ancient Aliens... Uh, this is in the second episode. This is the first episode where they finally get done doing their double pilots uh, and they actually get into some content, some actual hashtag content. And the idea behind this segment they did on the Sakara bird is essentially that, and they, they bring it back multiple times as they start running out of chapters of Chariots of the Gods to cover. Um, <laughs> So we, I don't know if we'll have to return to it or not, but um, essentially the idea is that the Saqqara bird to ancient aliens implies that there's something going on in that uh, the ancient Egyptians had some sort of grasp on how to build airplanes Mm -hmm. that we before were unaware of. Yeah. And that's a wild claim to me just because, and maybe, maybe they, they talk about this in other episodes, but like they've not found actual aircraft they've just found a small handheld basically toy that resembles in their eyes an aircraft but is really it looks just like a bird so like if they found like real to scale aircraft that would be something but the, the they found a little toy basically next to a piece of paper apparently labeled i want to fly um, that is a give i didn't have all the information but now i'm on their side <laughs> So the person who first floated this theory is an Egyptian uh, physician and a dowser, which is a fun thing. What's a dowser? A dowser is, have you ever seen, the closest thing I think of, they, they made fun of these on Looney Tunes a couple times, where somebody with a Y-shaped stick would be able to find water. Oh. It's essentially this idea that you can uh, psychically find the uh, sources of underground water wells using some sort of stick or metal-like thing. Okay. And so, oh. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. It's a common piece of pseudoscience that shows up in a lot of desert areas. Uh, in your home country, my country doesn't have any deserts, uh, but in your country, you do have deserts, and it kind of became a thing amongst like you know old grizzled prospector types. That's uh, you. You've, you're describing it now, and I've definitely seen this in like a cartoon. Yeah. Uh, it's it goes by the name of radiesthesia and hmm. you probably heard the term like dowsing rod or things like that or like hold, or seen somebody like yeah. holding a pendulum to see if it like moves in the direction of the thing they want to find that kind yeah. of stuff yeah 
Yes, this is all ringing bells. Sorry, mm-hmm. I stepped on your toes. What is this person's name? Uh, Khalil Messia or Messia. Fantastic. Yeah, uh, so so I mean, it's just a fun side note to show just what space the person who made this claim is occupying. Uh, I don't want to do an ad hominem. I mean, somebody can be a dowser and still perfectly float a uh, usable theory. Sure. Just showing that uh, just interesting tidbit about who he is. I have a feeling that the rest of this podcast is you saying, actually, though, this theory that they've proposed, also not great. Yep, but that is the last I will ever say of Khalil Messiah. <laughs> Fair enough. Because I, I I believe in looking at ideas uh, and not looking at people. Yeah. Either ways, what this thing is, is it's a bird-shaped artifact. It's made of sycamore wood. And it was first uncovered in 1898 when the tomb of a bureaucrat by the name of Padi Iman was uncovered in Saqqara, Egypt. The rough date that it is dated to is about 200 BCE, making it over 2,000 years old. That's good. That's real old. Yeah, this is one of those things when you deal with Egypt that you really have to really wrap your mind around is that no matter how old you think things are, Egypt is older. Um, (laughs) Like, um, here's a few things that that always come to mind. Queen Cleopatra, Mm -hmm. the last like true pharaoh of Egypt. Mm -hmm. She died at a time that's closer to us in the present than the origins of the Egyptian culture. Wild. (laughs) And other things like how the pyramids were built at a time when there were still species of mammoth alive. Oh my God, that's so (laughs) interesting. Yeah, so the thing about Egypt specifically, and this is why so many like ancient alien stuff, but also just a lot of like cultural interest in Egypt exists is because... The mm-hmm. region, the sort of uh, banks of the Nile River, have this extremely stable flooding pattern that has been for thousands of years very reliably flooding and making these extremely fertile plains around the uh, river. And then when you get beyond that, you get into some of the harshest desert the world has to offer. So it is this region with extremely stable climate and it's extremely defensible. And it had resulted in a culture that, although it had been conquered, although it had had changes in dynasties, Mm -hmm. had gone remarkably well preserved for millennia. Like I, you, you can't really name like the oldest country on earth today dates its origin to the year 900, which is Hungary. So yeah, thinking about a single society continuously existing for thousands of years is almost unimaginable. Props to you, Egypt. Holy cow. I just, I didn't even, I either, I didn't know that, or I just didn't really put it into full context, but that is impressive. And also because Egypt is a very, uh, stable, dry climate a lot of things have been preserved. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can see buildings that were built thousands of years ago that have been remarkably untouched by thousands of years of time and paintings that are still painted on the walls and things like that. So this is just kind of me cracking into a discussion on Egypt because we'll come back to Egypt tons of times. We are going to come back to Egypt. I don't know if you guys have heard of these. They've got these triangle buildings that people really like to talk about. Those are pretty good. 
I'm talking about the pyramids in case that wasn't clear. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I just didn't, it, I didn't know. Yeah. Also because of their like cultural power, a lot of times when they were conquered, they would always like uh, assimilate basically any culture. Like um, most famously, Egypt was conquered by Alexander the Great and given to one of his underlings by the name of Ptolemy. Mm-hmm. And instead of like turning it into sort of this Greek empire, it just turned into Egypt with Greek pharaohs. Fascinating. Oh man, we're going to, we're going to spend many, many episodes traveling to the the wonderful world of Egypt. Yeah. So looking at this bird, the thing about the bird is that, and this is where uh, we always find the aliens, that there is uh, no one clear answer as to its purpose because this is from a period where there's not actually a ton of documentation. Also weird because the Egyptians wrote down everything. Hmm. Curious. Yeah. So archaeologists have tried to theorize what it might be for. Uh, first one that comes to mind is that it's some sort of ceremonial object. It looks like it's a depiction of a falcon. And falcons are a pretty important uh, icon within Egyptian religion, mm-hmm. mostly because two gods by the name of uh, Ra Horakti and Horus both have falcons as part of their iconography. You probably recognize Horus as the uh, person with a falcon's head. Yes. Yes. Now that you say that. Yes. There is the idea that it is. it was actually a toy. That's what I've been saying. It's a very, it would be a very nice toy, but it could have it been a be toy. It would be a nice toy. Yeah. It's a great toy. Honestly, batteries not included because you don't need them. You know, <laughs> just sit around play with your toy, connect with one another. That's yep. what Egypt's all about. The other thing is that it could have been a weather vane. So it might've been put on a stick and it might've told what way the, because the thing that is weird about it, that is like a legit, like this is a weird thing. Why birds don't look like this is that its tail is vertical rather than horizontal. Right. And so that would lead some Koreans to think that it might be because it was designed to uh, tell which way the wind was blowing. That is interesting. Little, little helpful, little farming tool. And the other one is that it might've been a boomerang. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Only one way to test this out. We go find it. We go throw it. Yeah. Cause like thing is in ancient Egypt, they used boomerangs to hunt waterfowl. So Mm -hmm. uh, it was possible that they used, they use this thing as a way to like throw to like hit birds with it. I love that it is also bird shaped. So they're just like hitting birds with other birds. Yeah. And one of the coolest ones I think I came across is that it could have been the masthead used on sacred boats for something called the Opet Festival, Mm. which was this uh, very important uh, yearly festival feast Mm -hmm. thing that happened in Egypt and even continues to modern day. But essentially, there's boats found in reliefs at the site uh, in the Temple of Khonsu at Karnak, which is another another place that show boats with these birds as sort of as sort of icons. What it is, it's an ancient festival located in the Greek name is Thebes, but also goes by the name of Luxor. Ah, I've heard of Thebes. Yeah. Yeah. During the uh, month of the season of Akhet, which is, as I mentioned, those uh, that's the month when the Nile floods and that's when the plains all become fertilized and everything like that. Because it gets all that good earthy goodness coming down from Central Africa gets uh, into the soil. Yes. Sorry. I'm Googling Thebes now because I think that is the city that the Disney cartoon Hercules takes place in. And I am correct. <laughs> Thebes, Greece. That's how I know it. I was like, I know Thebes, and I was really hoping it was from something scholarly that I had digested and just retained in my mind, and it was Disney's Hercules. So uh, I am also disappointed in myself. You At least you didn't say, I recognize Luxor. That's the casino. Yeah. (laughs) 
Good point. The casino that's actually, oh, wait, no, no. I, I thought that it was the pyramid on our album art, but it's actually a, a pro bass shop. Never mind. Um, <laughs> so this is because of the annual flooding. This is considered a uh, fertility, like sort of like a spring festival, like, you know, kind of like Easter in the same mm-hmm. same vein of like why you would why you do it. And also it's a way to reaffirm the fertility of the pharaoh, the sort of god king of Egypt, and uh, reset the attachment between the... The Pharaoh, who is supposed to be sort of the messenger between humans and the gods on Earth, and one of the chief gods of Amun-Ra, or Amun-Re, who is essentially like the chief god of the Egyptian pantheon. Gotcha. If you are old enough, which uh, if you might remember the show Mummies Alive, a great cartoon that lasted for exactly one season. Is that the was that the cartoon that spun off of the Mummy films? No, nope, no. Nope. Mummies, okay. Mummies Alive was a children's cartoon show on Fox. OK, it lasted about 20 episodes and it featured a group of mummies that were cart- it was a cartoon that featured a group of mummies that were set to uh, watch over the reincarnation of the pharaoh who lived in the Western Gate, the Western Gate being the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. I like that. And the the five mummies who protected them were all very iconic, very marketable as toys. That's super important. With important catchphrases and puns like, let's kick tut. That's really good. <laughs> That's so good, though. And they all had uh, like anime magic girl transformation sequences. So it was like, you it was have to. all out. Yeah. It was very 90s. Yeah. This yeah. is like Beetleborg time. And uh, this is when when uh, Power Rangers came to America and just took everything by force. And then everyone was like, let's do more of that. Anyways, so this, we've, was a li- <laughs> this was a live action show then? No, no, it was cartoon. Oh, okay. It was a 2D okay. cartoon. Gotcha. I just wanted to, to, to bookend this segment by saying the show that I was thinking of is just called The Mummy. And it is a cartoon show spawned from The Mummy films. And I just wanted to say that it beat your mummy show because it had two seasons somehow. So take that you know what if you got a bet brennan fraser movie backing you up i'm sure that you would uh you would make it two two seasons too yeah give me that george of the jungle cartoon there had to have been one had to have been uh okay so uh speaking of fertility festivals the (laughs) the the fertility festival would include um what a segue yeah uh would include a ritual procession of something called a bark which is sort of a special type of boat that transports statues of gods and deities And it would take a statue of Amun-Ra and his wife Mut and his son Kons. And uh, they would take it on the boat on the Nile for a two kilometer trip to the Karnak Temple or the Luxor Temple and begin the festival. At the festival, the Pharaoh would have a marriage ceremony with the statue. Okay. And like the Pharaoh would marry the statue or would perform one for the statue? The Pharaoh would marry the statue. Okay, cool. uh, Because the statue statue is the symbol of the gods and they're supposed to show reaffirm every year the spiritual link between the pharaoh's fertility and the uh god the sun god okay and as well uh it would um you know just re- kind of reestablish the power of the pharaoh that makes sense mm-hmm. and today this feast still exists although it has been changed it's now a muslim feast uh it's a feast for a man named Sheikh Yusuf Al-Hagag, who is a holy man, but the boat still travels to Luxor every year as part of the ritual. So they were thinking that this might be part of that festival. Gotcha. Okay. Like someone had made it as like a little tribute potentially or? Sort of just continuing a ancient Egyptian, kind of like how 
when Christianity came to uh, Europe, they would do stuff like take Roman holidays and then add a Christian piece of significance to it. And then they would sort of retool the holiday to fit what they're going for. Gotcha. So when Islam came to Egypt, they you know changed the holidays so that it could fit something that was uh, compatible with their new religion. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so that's all to say. These are all this is what professional people, uh, professional archaeologists are thinking that this is. Tristan, I do not. I do not care about what the professional, <laughs> what the mainstream archaeologists say. Give me some of those rebels. What are they up to? What are they saying? Okay, so we get to ancient aliens, and they decide to apply their own theory to what this Saqqara bird might be. And they decide, like, this is kind of uh, looking into how they come to the conclusion and how they sort of portray what they're doing to the public. So first thing they do is they bring this engineer on to explain that the uh, bird has interesting properties, trying to talk about how aerodynamic it is. They point out that its wings look like an aircraft and its tail appears to be a rudder. Sure. uh, Which, as I mentioned is sort of a weird thing about it. It is. It is a weird thing. As you were saying, the tail lays more vertical. Mm-hmm. And then they also point out that next to the bird was a papyrus with the inscription, I want to fly, which led them to believe that this is probably the model of an aircraft. But do they not know that birds also fly? Well, I imagine they do. Okay. Um, I just want to be sure. But like, if you knew nothing else about the context of this artifact and they said, look, this thing says we want to fly. This thing looks like a aircraft. If you were to take all those two things, uh, making the leap doesn't sound that extreme. Sure. They're basically doing what most people would think an archaeologist is doing, looking at things in context and making hypotheses based on their observations. But hypotheses can't be held up without evidence. And so they actually, to fulfill their theory, they built a larger scale model of the bird to see if it was able to fly. And they do a bunch of experiments. They do a simulation. They do like a aerodynamic simulation. Yeah, they put it through like a wind tunnel. Yeah. Uh, All of this is to find out whether or not this was some sort of glider. Uh, They don't have any explanation as to what's happening or why it's happening. They just show shots of aerodynamics research. They show uh, like simulations and things like that. Uh, and just come to the conclusion that this might have been a glider. Interesting that they don't show results or anything like that. But No, they show, look at all the big science equipment that you have. So that's how you know we're, we're onto something here. And then they also conclude that this could have been a glider because we have gliders today, which we use where we attach a glider to an airplane with a bungee cord. And then the plane takes off, taking the glider up into the air and then they detach. And then the glider can fly around for a while before it lands. So sure. It and so uh, I think if I remember correctly on the show, they proposed like they could have done this without an airplane and said they could have used a catapult. <laughs> <laughs> Flung people through the air and just let them glide. Yeah, I would have loved to see the um, the failed experiments of that project. Maybe they were all airbenders like Aang and they had their own gliders like that way. Mm-hmm. And because this is such advanced technology well beyond the capabilities of people thousands of years ago. Ancient Aliens comes to a very pointed conclusion that the Sakaar bird is indeed aliens. It's aliens. I loved this experiment because 
It was so baffling. And I'm sure we will get to all of the things that you have to say in a rebuttal towards uh, this. I love, okay, my favorite things about this, um, about Tell their me. stuff they did with the Sakara bird, which Lay is on one, me. when they do the aerodynamics test, the first thing they find out is that it doesn't work. <laughs> it it does not work. <laughs> it's not aerodynamic. It doesn't have uh, ailerons to balance out uh, its stuff. So they invent ailerons. They're like, well, if you see, there's like a wear at this part. So there could have been one attached at one point. Yeah. And, and those, the, the big, the big fancy word you're using that I can't pronounce. It, it's basically just like a horizontal piece of material that you see at the back of planes on like the tail of planes, right. To kind of straighten them out. Yeah. Cause if you think about how air would fly over this, you think it's going over the wings. Okay. That's providing lift. And then it's on the rudders, um, which if it could move would provide uh, movement. Yes, yeah, but direction. if you don't have, if you don't have like this is working real well for an audio medium. I know but if you don't have a horizontal uh, thing at the back, yeah. to 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 turn properly, uh, essentially uh, there's nothing keeping it from just going. Like if you turn, it just going. Like just like yeah. flipping right over and crashing. You need, you need something to stabilize it in the back. And this, in the condition that they found this, uh, this Sakara bird, it was either absent one or as they claim missing one because there's a part on the on the tail that looks like it's worn a little bit Mm -hmm. now i'm no fancy egyptologist but uh we've done a fair bit of egyptology over the years we've dug the hell out of that desert and not not me personally but yeah this is one thing that i we have not been able to find which is any other aircraft or evidence that they had ever thought of or even conceived of aircraft in the past. Yeah, that would be a big one. And and this this will come up later if we do an episode on specifically the Dendera lights, which is sort of a claim that they had light bulbs and electricity, which is that yes. if something is going to exist in something like this, like like if we if the Egyptians had discovered air travel, there would not just be evidence of other airplanes, but there would be evidence of airports and however they would have fueled such things or we've got evidence of airports. We already talked about the Nazca lines. Is that what they are? <laughs> that's that's the that's the argument I think ancient aliens makes the conclusion that yeah. these are all signs that there was a global civilization that was definitely doing air travel. Mm-hmm. But like the best claim they can make is that this is a glider and uh yeah. I say uh gliding from Egypt to Nazca would be be quite a glide <laughs> quite a glide indeed and they can't say that it was an airplane because there's no evidence of like an engine or a propeller or a jet or anything they just had a really really powerful catapult, catapult. yeah, yeah. Uh, anything that would be powerful enough to do that would probably either put the bird in orbit or would definitely turn whoever <laughs> was flying it into a into a piece of like uh what's it called into like a nice uh, Niswander is the German name. Nice, like a uh, schnitzel uh, pounded into the back of the seat of the plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just mush, human mush. Yeah, there's a reason why, you know, humans can't fly in a lot of ways. And one of them is that the forces needed to make something of our weight move at a really significant speed can kill us. It sure can. It wasn't until we invented like, you know... um, light light enough materials and things like internal combustion engines that we were able to like move at a speed that could fly but also not do something like fire us out of a cannon <laughs> yeah now we've turned flying into a, a very t- 
tedious, boring experience where you're just like sitting on a plane for, you know, however many hours. Just like, man, I really wish I didn't have to pay for Wi-Fi on this flight. (laughs) So um, another person uh, has looked at the evidence of whether or not this bird could fly and has determined that it would be too heavy and unstable to fly. Uh, A little guy by the name of Richard P. Hallian, who might have some credentials to speak about it because he's the senior advisor for air and space issues and the directorate for security counterintelligence and special programs oversight at the pentagon (laughs) so he's literally the guy who figures out problems with jet airplanes and such so kind of a kind of a knowledgeable source yeah i I, and he and he pointed out that this thing first of all sycamore wood a bit too heavy for an airplane sure we weren't really able to make airplanes until we could make like the wright brothers happened at the time it did because it was the time when we invented like engines that were powerful enough but also materials light enough to get some sort of flight inventions need to kind of confluence together in order to make things work yeah there's a word for there a phrase for that and i can't remember what it is but i've definitely talked about this in in many of my old videos where you need you need something for the next thing to happen like you you can't go get to airplanes without having you know lightweight materials to make engines out of and things like that Mm -hmm. and if they had discovered something like that there would be a lot of evidence of them building towards that technology Mm -hmm. but um this all shows how to not prove that something is aliens uh they take this extreme conclusion that extraterrestrials are the reason why this bird exists and they don't really have a lot of supporting evidence they just say basically that it is far beyond our technology that we that we anticipate they have the time therefore aliens that's yeah We've talked about this before, but that is, you can't just you can't just claim that like, well, maybe they were just way smarter than we thought. Nope. Aliens has to be aliens. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of omitting and misrepresenting different facts on the ground about this object. And there was the show takes no look at what people think this thing is, like what experts <laughs> think this is. Yeah, they're doing basically what a lot of things we see in uh, this sort of situation there. They're working backwards from a conclusion. Yet yeah, again. it's do you think if aliens visited in a spaceship that they would teach people how to make a less cool way of transportation? Like we came on this spaceship. We'll teach you how to make a plane. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't feel. Yeah. If the aliens come tomorrow, they're going to teach us how to make that pedal powered helicopter from uh, the great yeah. mouse detective. When the blimp breaks, <laughs> they're like, you are not ready for our spacecraft quite yet. We need you to prove yourselves worthy. Mm-hmm. Make this, make this little penny farthing bicycle, please. Here's, here's your pedal powered helicopter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we thought that if your society was strong enough to handle inventing a new type of cycle, then uh, we can <laughs> could do this. We'll talk later. No offense to cyclists. You guys are great. Don't worry. You're great. Um, Love you. But uh, yeah, so they're basically what, what I think is particularly pernicious about this case is that they frame it like the way that the public misunderstanding of how archaeologists do their work does this, where they're doing what archaeologists do, but not with the scientific basis and rational understanding that they do in order to do their things. Like when a real archaeologist is trying to figure out what something is, they do an interpretive project that is based on gathering information from other areas. And when they bring on random like engineers and stuff like that to answer things that are not archaeologists, archaeologists 
spend, they literally get PhDs in studying like anthropology and archaeology and theory to go through the process of trying to put this thing in its place with all of the other things. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, the common understanding is that archaeologists just make stories up about artifacts without proof, but it's actually like a rigorous process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there's definitely, you could come across something and like have an idea, but yeah, like exactly what you're saying. You can't just shout out an idea and go, this is definitely it. It takes a lot of time and effort to make sure that what you're saying is as accurate as, as possible. Mm-hmm. So there's an archaeologist who did a blog on or a blog post on the Saqqara bird. And what I found was that if you use something like the normative model of culture, you could start to look at this object in its context within Egyptian culture and try to discern what kind of use it might have had from that. Every culture has a set of rules and norms that govern society and uh, pass along to further generations. Mm. So a trained archaeologist looking at the Saqqara bird might conclude that the bird was ceremonial because it was found in a tomb, uh, which means that it probably had some sort of might have had some sort of religious significance. Also, because we know about the importance of falcons within Egyptian religion, that that is probably finding a uh, bird that is heavily revered within their religion Mm -hmm. within a tomb, which is typically a site where you find things that are revered and of like religious significance, says that there's probably a lot of ideas that this is some sort of ceremonial item. Yeah, absolutely. And different style variations could be what I found out is archaeologists call idiosyncratic behavior, which is that if uh, which is that is the word they use when an artist like an individual artist in a society just makes something that's completely out there and does something that's against the grain. Oh. Like, we don't know what weird thing this is. So the artist was just weird. They just did something funny. Could just do it. Could just be out there. <laughs> Makes yeah. sense to me. Uh, especially within this um, like something like a vertical tail could just be uh, some in, like because everything is handmade back then so this could just be yeah. the idea of just one dude like yeah. if you think about it because so few things survive to modern day if there's just like one thing made by a weirdo that makes it to today we're going to uh it's going to skew the way that we look at the past in a lot of different ways absolutely do you remember i think it was last year but boy last year was really long when all of those little metal pillars or metal obelisks started appearing in places yes like some sort of art stunt or marketing stunt or something. Oh boy. That's like a perfect modern day example of like, sometimes people just do weird stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's thought that it might've been done by uh, the great Zardulu who um, I got to tell you about at some point. Yeah. That is uh, a name that I've never heard before. But uh, the person who did the pillars might have also been the person who uh, made pizza rat. Oh, there's a whole (laughs) web here, a whole web of of tangled mess of lies. Mm hmm. So again, it's hard to figure out what this is. There's not a lot of evidence around it. It's from a weird time. So we don't have a potential meaning, but at least this is the ways to look at it to get started. Yeah. Um, but Ancient Aliens says the opposite of that. And they just decide to take their evidence then they make all sorts of weird evidence by doing experiments and such uh, without giving the, the thing. And they just kind of work backwards from their hypothesis and abuse a sort of popular misunderstanding about how archaeologists do their work in order to try to make the claim that it's aliens. Yeah. A lot of this stuff we've talked about definitely in previous episodes, but it is like on full display here. Like you said, working backwards from a conclusion, bringing in experts to, to provide quote unquote evidence uh, who are not 
in like the archaeology field necessarily. And yeah, just total misunder- uh, misunderstanding of, of the whole field of archaeology. The big thing for this one that I think is like the thing you want to take away is, yeah, be wary when you have people who are experts talking about something but are not experts in that field. That's a good tip. A yes. lot of historians get a bugbear when people talk about the book Guns, Germs, and Steel because an ornithologist decided to just show up and say, hey, I can do history. Don't worry. I solved it. <laughs> but when an engineer starts showing up to talk about Egyptology uh, and they don't bring on Egyptologists, that should probably be a bit of a red flag. But also the real insidious thing that was done with the Saqqara bird, and I'm sure this will come up again and again and again as we go through the show, which is that they take popular misunderstandings about how archaeologists and historians do their jobs and abuse that in a way to make their alien uh, hypothesis seem just as valid as, say, something that's been done by people who literally dedicate their lives to understanding and preserving the cultural heritage of the Egyptian people. It's uh, it's an incredible disservice to the whole culture, to the, to the whole field of study. It's, it's bad. Ancient aliens. I was going to say, I was going to say you can do better or you're better than that. But I think we all know that ancient aliens. <laughs> We're is nine episodes in. All of our goodwill has just completely run out. I know. We, episode one, we were like, we are skeptics who aren't jerks. Episode nine, this fucking bird. This, this goddamn fucking, fucking bird. <laughs> this bird has broken us. Uh, um, as far as I know, we might come back to this at some point because I found in later episodes, I think they actually make a Saqqara bird, but they put like a propeller in it and they try to like make it fly like a like a remote controlled airplane. So, OK, I think we get so I think they, they come back to this again at several points in the show when the show starts to get real wild. That is awesome. I So I can't wait to see what happens. We'll definitely have to, have to revisit that. Also, we're we're nine episodes in and I, I haven't talked to you about this at all. And maybe it's something that we can set up by the time this comes out. But uh, most of the topics that we've talked about so far are within the first like a handful of episodes. <laughs> and there's like 14 seasons of this show. So if you have a specific thing thing in one of the episodes that you want us to talk about. Maybe we can set up a Google form or something that people can submit ideas and and like episodes uh, uh, in to to put us put on a spreadsheet that we can kind of go through because uh, I don't we're not necessarily tackling everything in chronological order as the show presents it but a lot of the stuff has come from the first yeah. handful of episodes I yeah because I wanted to make sure that every like every episode has a single topic yes and the thing about this show is that it goes through multiple topics very fast in every episode kind of too fast for you to sit back and think critically about any individual one and then what happens is that uh, they return to subjects over and over again throughout the show. So they talk with the Sakar bird in this, this episode, but then they come back in like future episodes and look at it again. So like this is like a thing that is, you know, it's hard to just map onto a regular podcast unless we were like to go episode by episode. But I like to I like to make a little story about how we can learn something from each of these yeah, claims. So. Absolutely. I think you're exactly right about jumping from topic to topic in, in ancient aliens, not letting you really soak it in and think about it. And so hopefully we can be the sort of antidote to that of like you bringing in all of this research about one specific thing and us talking about it for a full length of what would normally be a full episode of ancient aliens. But like, you know, the full time run is about one specific thing. And I think that is a fun way to tackle 
tackle this show and these and these theories. Mm-hmm. But uh, that that is this fucking bird. That's this um, fucking bird. Hey, I'll make more announcements about the Google form that you can fill out, maybe if I've done that, uh, and you'll know more about those announcements if you follow us on Twitter uh, at Probs Not Aliens. Probs Not Aliens. Go follow it. It's a good time. Also, check out Nerd Sync and Step Back, our YouTube channels that we do for our actual day jobs while we do this as a fun second work at night. It's fun because we're recording so many of these in advance that I want to be able to be like, yeah, this week I have a video about this, but like, I don't know what I'm going to have when these come out. Hopefully in the future, I will have my life together. Yeah, I think we're at the point where if this came out, if if the first episode came out like today as we were recording it, I think this would be coming out in like September. So we're- yeah, so we, we're recording this at the very at the start and middle of 2021. So if you're hearing this somehow in like end of 2021 going into 2022, then we we're reaching you're reaching us from the future and we're mm-hmm. talking to you from the distant past. Anyway, leave us a four star review on iTunes and wherever else you can review podcasts. We don't want your five star reviews. Get them out of here. We know our <laughs> worth. We're not worth five stars. Four star reviews. Let us have them. There's also millions of podcasts out there and it's a very hyper saturated market. So the way that we can spread is by you telling your friends and family about it who are interested in this kind of stuff. Because honestly, like Ancient Aliens is a really great way to get people who might not think that they like history into it. And then showing them this will be like a way for them to be like, wow. There's some real stuff to appreciate. Cool. Yeah. And I think we're an interesting show. I think this is an interesting podcast. So tell, don't you want your friends to have something entertaining and fun to listen to? Of course you do. Tell your friends and your family. Uh, but till then, the truth is out there. Pro- probably. Probably.